Looking forward to our time together the remainder of today and also next Sunday. Uh, Pastor Chris acted like he was surprised. Um, since Chris and BB partnered with us in the spring, I, I'm going to tell some inside secrets. I said, here's what normally happens, and you have to understand I served as a, a lead associate or executive pastor a lot of my ministry career, and generally you get the Sundays that the real pastors don't want. And I'll tell you what they are. It's the Sunday after Easter. It's the Sunday around um, Memorial Day, the Sunday around Labor Day, the Sunday after Christmas. I made a deal with him. I said, I'll take all of those, and I'll give you the Sundays that are the prime Sunday. So Pastor Chris is going to share with us Christmas Sunday on uh, the greatest gift of grace there is, which was Jesus Christ. And that's, that's tremendous. And then the following Sunday, uh, I will share my final message with you as your lead pastor. And I, four months ago, I thought I knew what it was. But we'll just have to wait and see, Dale, because I don't have an outline for you today. But, but I have a week. Um, uh, I know in my heart what it will be. I want to share uh, some thoughts about a vision for this place that I believe God has positioned us and given us leaders to take us there. So that's really, really exciting stuff. Uh, in talking about grace, I want to talk about daily grace. Now, if I went no farther and said, how many of you need grace every day? We, we would raise our hands um, and and. And some of us, because of our tradition or where we've come from, might think, well, we're talking about a constant need of forgiveness, and so, yeah, I sin every day, so I, I need grace. But you remember last week I introduced this concept of grace that's far beyond mercy and forgiveness. You remember what it was? It's God's operational power. Grace is God's operational power. And so now let me ask it, how many of you need God's operational power every day? We all do. And when we don't rely on God's operational power and we rely on our own, what are we destined for? Failure, <laughs> shortcomings, and mistakes. You know, there's some things... That I'm, I'm going to just tell you how I felt growing up. It's like, okay, God, you got the Ten Commandments, and then you got Jesus adding all this other stuff. I just can't do it. And I'd feel like if I could get all of those down, you're going to write a new one just to trip me up. As Pastor Jack Hayford used to say, he goes, I finally felt I got there, and then I said, it felt like the Lord was going to say, You must fly. You know, go ahead, make a rule I can't keep. Well, the fact is, is all of those rules we can't keep. But God can empower us and enable us to do what is humanly impossible. So we need daily grace. And you'll notice this theme, I don't know if any of you have read it, but it's empowering every moment of every day. Grace is just not the Sunday, oh, I'm waiting for that forgiveness prayer that the pastor is going to lead us in, and I'll get saved for the 467th time in my career. That was meant to be funny. 
hopefully at home you were laughing because they weren't here. Um, <laughs> but that's all good. I want to look briefly at a story in John chapter 9. And I don't know how much of this I put in your notes, but it's John really all the way to verse 29. But in interest of time and audience attention, we'll cut out a section. Afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness, his own or the sin of his parents? You could stop right there, I could stop right there, and preach a whole sermon on prejudgment. Because they are assuming because of his condition, there has been moral failure. They assume that. And so Jesus clears something up right away, and he clears it up not only for them, but for us. And he said, Jesus answered, neither. He didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. What Jesus is saying, he happens to live in a world that has been impacted by the influence of sin. I remember Francis Schaeffer, and he was one of the great thinkers of, of my lifetime, great, great theologian. And uh, he was asked you know, how he explained his cancer. He said, well, you know what? It's not something I wanted. It's not something I went out and sought, but he said, I live in a sinful world. And that has impacted the way the world functions. It's impacted the balance. It's impacted health. It's impacted all of these things. And he said, I don't blame God. I don't blame anyone. I live in a sinful world. All of us have lived in a sinful world and been influenced by the fact that, that it's around us, Right? So Jesus goes on to say, it happened to him, can you imagine? It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. Wow. Think about it. Some of the things that you may be wrestling with, and you say, God, what, what did I do? Maybe you didn't do anything, but maybe it's in your life so that God, when he does the miraculous, others will see it and testify and say, wow, I've seen God's grace. I've seen his grace. While I'm with you, it's daytime, and we must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines. For there's coming a dark day when no one will be able to work. As long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. Then, of course, in, in the desire to start a different denomination, Jesus sped on the ground and made some clay with saliva. Then he anointed the blind man's eyes with clay. I was joking there because we tend to divide over these things, should we sprinkle or immerse. So I, I never chose to go to a clay spitter church for healing. I prefer anointing with oil, but that's just me. He said to the blind man, go wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So he went and washed his face, and he came back. He could see for the first time in his life. That's pretty amazing. One of the things you'll notice is that Jesus uses a variety of methods to effect healing. 
because they became a point of releasing a person's faith. But please understand, the method did not heal. That's why Jesus used different methods. I don't want to go to that church. They're a bunch of spitters. Uh, <laughs> that reminds me of Seinfeld. Anyway, verse 24. So once again, they summoned the man who was healed of blindness. Now, this is the spiritual leaders. Or the, let, me, let me back up. Let me take that out. They were the religious leaders of the day. They summoned the man again. So it means there had already been one questioning. Uh, they summoned him who had been healed of blindness and said, Swear to God, tell us the truth. We know the man who healed you is a sinful man. Do you agree? <laughs> and the healed man says, I have no idea what kind of man he was. All I know is I was blind, and now I see for the first time in my life. But, but what did he do to you, they asked. How did he heal you? The man responded, I told you once, and you didn't listen to me then. Why do you want me to repeat it? Are you wanting to be his followers too? What a dig. What a dig. I love that. This angered the leaders. They heaped insult on him. We can tell you you're one of his followers. Now we know it. We are true followers of Moses, for we know that God spoke to Moses directly. But as for this one, we don't know where he comes from. What's the problem here? This story is an illustration of the fundamental challenge of everyone in the human condition. Are you ready for your first fill-in? It's man's desire for independence. Another word for independence could be self-reliance. These Jewish leaders, the leaders of that day, had become reliant upon the fact that we stand in good graces of God, particularly the Pharisees, because we've memorized the Pentateuch. That's Genesis to Deuteronomy, that whole section. There's stuff in there that I can't even pronounce, let alone memorize. They had done that. They had followed, they, they tithed even of their mint. You know, if they were from a certain area, they tithed their cilantro. One leaf for God, nine for me. And they were counting on the fact that they were so meticulous in their observance of laws and of creating scores, hundreds, thousands of additional laws on top of God's ten. <laughs> That's what was going on. They were reliant on themselves. They wanted to be God's chosen, but they got there because they earned it. This is still the challenge today. I'm going to tell you, not that I'm running. If I was the leader of this state, when I had my twice a day news conferences to say how I had everything under control, I'd be saying, I don't know what to do. Will you pray? Because the fact is, they don't know what to do. 
Well, what are some sources of self-reliance? Can I just buzz through some real quick? The first one is uh, financial resources or financial power. Financial power. Psalms uh, 49 says, Why should I fear when trouble comes when enemies surround me? They trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. Yet they can't redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. Many of you know, you've heard me share, that in one of my transition seasons, I worked at a mortuary cemetery. Now, that may sound morbid to you, but uh, and some of my pastor friends said, what are you doing there? And I said, well, you know what? When do people want God when they're in crisis? Everyone that comes and sits in my office is at a point of crisis. But I have to say, and I, I'm going to say this with a, a bit of humor, we had the casket showroom. <laughs> and... It, uh, they would, the funeral director would usher them in. And one, every time I saw it, I always laughed. It was beautiful oak. And as the curved lid, it had a shelf or a, a, like a, a drawer. And it was pulled out in the display. And a deck of cards was open and a cell phone and some fake jewelry was in there. Now, let's think about that for a minute. What good is any of that stuff going to do a person? Because the person isn't there. People bought it for the drawer. That was the feature. You want this one for the drawer. You know, you want to leave your loved one a cell phone. What, are you going to leave him a charger? And, of course, my mind, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sick. I see a cord coming out of the ground and going across to where the guy's plugged in the weed eater. I, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, shouldn't do that. You, you see this? You can trust in your finances, but when your final breath comes, you can't buy another breath. That verse says it. They can't redeem themselves. Psalms 52, the righteous will see it and be amazed. They will laugh and say, look what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust their wealth instead and grow more and more bold in their wickedness. See what's happened here? People trust in their wealth. That's independence. That's self-reliance. Believers in Jesus... Now, you've got to understand, if, if you understand the, the Pentecostal tradition of which our church is, is part of that stream of the river of Protestant Christianity, our churches didn't start off as nice buildings. They were on the other side of the tracks. Literally, they were, they were on the other side of the tracks. Many of our, our churches met in storefronts or tents. And I remember how excited in, in the movement we were in the 60s and early 70s when suddenly we built the biggest building in town and had the biggest auditorium. And at the time, I was part of the Assemblies of God, and the mantra was, we're the fastest-growing denomination. Oh, what happens? Many of those buildings that we looked at, the 10,000-seat one in Florida that's been leveled to, to put in a mall, 
When you trust in wealth instead of rely on God, what happens? Second, some trust in people they know and the prestige of that relationship. Some look at people as a source of protection. Psalms 118 says, Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You know, I have, I have dear friends. I have friends in every church we've pastored. There's a sprinkling of people that I've carried on a relationship with, in some cases, 40 years. Daryl Serena, who was a co-pastor with me in Sonora, we, we've known each other since we were 9 and 10, respectively. It's, it's a carried-on thing. You know what? I love Daryl. And he's been loyal and faithful as a friend. But I'm going to tell you, for every Daryl, I can list 10 that if I'd have been fully reliant upon them or my relationship with them, I'd have been let down. Sometimes we trust in the prestige gained by association with wealth and power. Uh, in one situation, I can think of my, my wife had some friendships, and, and sometimes the husband thing kind of comes along at the end. And so in, in this one situation that I can think of, I had a relationship with a, a gentleman, and when... When I was the highest in the social status, there was, oh, Mark, how you doing? How you doing? The minute someone walked in the room that would be considered of a higher status than me, it's like my name was forgotten. You'll say, is that in the Bible? Well, let's look at James. Dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes. And expensive jewelry, which is, by the way, why I wear jeans, is I want to make it comfortable. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or sit on the floor or maybe stay outside, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? James goes on to write in verse 5, Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't the ones who inherit the kingdom he promised? Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? There's nothing wrong with having friends that have connections. There's nothing wrong with being around people that they might have a media presence or they might be well-known or they might be popular. That's all okay. But if you're relying on that relationship to bring you to some place in life or to bring value to your life, you're going to be disappointed every time. The third one I, I point to is political or military power. Uh, Psalms 20 verse 7 alludes to reliance upon military strength. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we'll trust in the name of the Lord our God. In August, we left Afghanistan. We left billions of dollars of stuff there, and we couldn't even get our own people out. 
that's an example of reliance on military strength. What did it do? It failed us. That again is a time we pray, God, help. Some of us trust in political alliances. Let me, let me give two verses, Isaiah 30 and Isaiah 31. I don't know which one I gave you in your notes. So Isaiah 30 says this, You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit, thus piling up your sins. For without consulting me, you've gone down to Egypt for help. You've put your trust in Pharaoh's protection. You've tried to hide in the shade, but by trusting Pharaoh, you will be humiliated, and by depending on him, you will be disgraced. Be careful who you make alliances with. Isaiah 31, which is in your notes. What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help, trusting their horses and chariots and charioteers, depending on the strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. I can think a battle that the Lord was in with someone, and he used a guy with 300 I can think of battles where the Lord confused the enemy, where they turned around and fought each other. That's pretty cool. Holster your gun and watch this one. Oh, sweet. My greatest weakness in this topic is, is part point D. Trust in your mental power or intellectual abilities. Psalm or Proverbs says it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You know, you can sit down sometimes and you're making a decision. We were talking about one in the car on the way up here. And and I can, because I used to be a math teacher, I can do a kind of a mental gymnastic and say, well, this, this, and this. And But I knew she was going to say it. Well, before we do any more math, Maybe we ought to pray. Because if you, if you don't get a yes in prayer, there's no need for the pencil. This is better than your respondent. No. 2 Corinthians 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. The reason I added that is if you want to know what is going on in our culture today, it's this very thing. They don't believe, so they're blind. You believe, you receive revelation. This is why, if any, and I'm not suggesting you follow me on social media because it's like walking through the desert. Occasionally there's a cactus posted, and that's about it. But I will not get into a debate with people about things. I think some of the decisions that are made are the height of stupidity. But you can't get into a debate with people because it's like they cover their ears and they go, la, 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 la. 
And you say, why, how, can they, how can I not reason with them? Why can't they look at the facts? Because their minds are blind. Why? Because they don't believe. So aren't you trying to convince them? All I can do is try to convince them with the testimony of my life that you need Jesus Christ. And if you accept him, he'll change your life, your eternity, and he'll change the way you think. How does he do that? Because he'll open your eyes and you'll see things you never saw before. So what's the key? Well, the key to seeing is you've got to recognize you're blind. <laughs> you've got to recognize you're blind. John 9. We'll continue the story in verse 39. Jesus said, I've come to judge those who think they see. You're not going to like this next phrase. And make them blind. And for those who are blind, I've come to make them see. What's the difference? The ones that believe, God helps us see. The ones who do not believe, he blinds. Some of the Pharisees, parentheses, blind ones, were standing nearby and overheard these words. They interrupted in Jesus and said, You mean to tell us that we are blind? Now, if, if I had been there, I'd have said, Well, you said it. Jesus told them, if you would acknowledge your blindness, then your sin would be removed. Notice he doesn't say to them, if you keep doing that list of things you're doing and keep adding to it, and, and you know what? I saw one of those mint leaves. You tore it in half. I only got a half. I need the other half. If you just acknowledge, I don't have what I need. God is sitting there saying, I've been waiting for you to say that because I happen to have everything you need and it's a gift and all you need to do is acknowledge you need it and receive it by faith. It's yours. Did you, did you hear what Jesus said? If you would acknowledge your blindness, not follow a list, not do a bunch of things, just acknowledge. What's acknowledge? I'm blind. I can't see. Glad you mentioned that. I know how to heal blind people. I spit in the dirt. I make clay. And you can see. But now that you claim to see, your sin remains. How do you experience daily grace? You recognize you're blind. I need God to intervene. Today. Every day. So then what's the key to receiving all God has for us? Big long answer. Like a child, we recognize our daily dependence upon him. The first phrase I have in there is, like a child. Notice I'm not saying acting childish. Matthew 18, it says, At that time the disciples came to ask Jesus, Who's considered to be the greatest in 
heaven's kingdom realm. Now, he'd already, they'd already seen what he'd done to the Pharisees, so they knew they didn't qualify. And since we get it and they're following you, are we here? And they're expecting to hear, well, it's the 12, and, and Peter, you, James and John are, are really the top people here because I call on you a lot. Look what Jesus did. He called a little one to his side and said to them, learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable like a little child, you will never be able to enter in. Whoever continually humbles himself to become like this little child is the greatest one in heaven's kingdom. Daily dependence like a child will bring you everything you need. Why did Jesus in his prayer that he taught us say, give us today our daily bread? Where does that allude to? It alludes to the manna. You have to trust me today that the manna is going to show up today. Don't store for tomorrow, it'll go bad. They didn't have an LG double door with a fancy light that comes on in a glow or the TV camera that you can look at without opening the door and see what's in there. Which we will never own that because we don't want people to see what's in there. Ours isn't like the commercial, not neatly organized. Daily dependence. Today, the children of Israel learned it the hard way. And they learned on Friday... You can get two days because we're taking Saturday off. Jesus, give us today what we need for today. Tomorrow, guess what we ask for? Give us Monday <laughs> what I need Monday on that day. So what's the key to appropriating our daily grace? I submit to you that we learn to recognize and follow the voice of our shepherd. Recognize and follow the shepherd's voice. In John 10, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Listen to this eternal truth. The person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen, rather than coming through the gate, reveals himself as a thief coming to steal. But the true shepherd walks right up to the gate, and because the gatekeeper knows who he is, he opens the gate to let him in. And the sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd, for he calls his own by name and leads them out, for they belong to him. And when he has brought out all his sheep, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him, for they are familiar with his voice. But they'll run away from strangers and never follow them because they know it's the voice of a stranger. Jesus told the Pharisees this parable, even though they didn't understand a word of what he meant. I would urge you, spend time every day seeking to hear 
the shepherd's voice. Because when you're in one of those moments when you need direction, when you need help, when there's a cacophony of sound saying, do this, do that, do this, when you know your shepherd's voice, you'll recognize it, and it's easy to follow. He'll never mislead you. Unfortunately, many in the church only try to hear the shepherd's voice when they're in crisis. Learn the voice of your shepherd every day. And when you need direction and all the rumble and all the noise, you'll hear, that's the one I follow. And those are the ones that I ignore. I don't know what I'm saying is true. Well, Jesus said it this way, my sheep listen to my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. I want to just focus on that one little phrase here because this may encourage you as it does me. It says, I know them. <laughs> Do you know that God in Revelation says that he has a name for us that no man knows? And there's no duplications. Now, I wanted mark.o'connell at whatever for my email. But there's some artist somewhere that's more famous than me that has mark.o'connell. So I had to add 77 in there. Right? Or have fun. Type your name in a social media and see how many of you there are. Some of you even have your picture that aren't you. Now that was funny. <laughs> Know this, that God knows you, that Jesus knows you by a name that no one else knows. And so when he calls out, and let's pretend I'm the only Mark, when he says, Mark, he's talking to me. So what's the key to all of this? Surrender control. Surrender control and receive all God has. John 10 says, I am the gateway. To enter through me is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness, you will overflow. I'm the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. They'll say, well, where's the law in all this? Well, in Romans 5, it says, God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. That's the measuring stick. You don't measure up, Mark. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us, catch this, right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we look for our eternal destiny, that white stone with your name etched on it that says you belong to the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords. It's human nature to be self-reliant. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. When Satan encouraged man, question what God says. You know better. I encourage you today, listen to the voice. Believe and your eyes will be opened. And learn to hear his voice and to follow it each and every day. Amen. His grace is sufficient each and every day for every challenge that you face. Remember, it's his power at work in you. Father, this morning, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the hope that we have that you are so committed to us. You're committed to us each and every day to give us everything that we need to be successful, to, to, to have influence and impact in our lives, and to walk fully in your blessing and grace. All of those things are for us. And all we have to do is every day say, Father, I need you. And Jesus, I want to hear your voice. Help me to hear it. Help me to recognize it. And help me to trust in you. Well, our life in Christ starts with that initial time where we acknowledge our need of Jesus as our Savior and Lord. If you're in this room or you're watching online and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I'd encourage you to pray this simple prayer. Father, I've sinned. I don't measure up. But I believe your son Jesus died on the cross, and because he died and rose again, my sins are forgiven. I acknowledge my need of you. I receive your grace. You know, if you pray that simple prayer, you're brought into God's family. You learn to listen to his voice, read his word, talk to him each and every day. He'll speak to your heart, direct your steps, and bless you in all that you do. That's his guarantee for his kids. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for braving the storm that's going to be stronger tomorrow. Look forward to being with you next Sunday and hearing Pastor Chris and his next Saturday. Are you going to preach at the? He's going to he's going to eat on Saturday and preach on Sunday. He ought to be loaded for bear. Anyway, Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause His face to shine upon you. May he give you His peace. May you walk in His power. May you have a heightened sensitivity to His voice and the strength to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great, great week.